Welcome back to That's Lame, the equestrian podcast for horse girls from horse girls. That was really good, well done. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as that intro might have given it away, we have a guest on today and that is Miss Scarlett John. Welcome, Welcome, Scarlett. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. So just a little background information on Scarlett. She started riding when she was around five years old, did a bit of show jumping and showing, and then started competing with British dressage around 10, 11. She has since represented Great Britain five times, both ponies, juniors, and young riders. And both Joanna and myself know Scarlett because she took the ride of Apollo, which was Joanna's Grand Prix horse. Yes, she did. Did an excellent job. She did a wonderful Ruined job. Ruined him. No, she didn't. <laughs> She's also just a very lovely, wonderful person. We love having her up. She is doing her A-levels, but we have convinced her to quit. She's an yeah. excellent slave. I'm not doing them anymore. <laughs> She's... I've decided that I'm okay for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just love Scarlett and we hope you guys love her too. So, Evie... What's been lame in your week? <laughs> we have just got back from Addington. And when I say just got back, I'm actually still in my white breeches with my tracksuits over the top. Yeah, it's quite a look. <laughs> I was meant to be taking Terry. I think we spoke about this in the last episode, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Both Joanna and myself were going to Addington for a couple of days, doing four tests each just to get some summer regional qualification and just some experience. Just for bants, really. Just for the bants. <laughs> I was meant to take terry and i ended up taking a completely different horse she took a cob i took a super cob called louie shout out to hazel his owner for letting him (laughs) thank you very much basically terry 24 hours before the show struck out at a horse got his foot caught in we have these tuck boxes outside each stable so just for a bit of a wider context we were untacking him outside the stable which we do all the time because we're just about to put him in the field and he decided he didn't like this horse that was looking at him. <laughs> he has severe small man syndrome. Bear in mind the horse that he struck out at, he actually lived with for a year in the field 24-7 and they were like best friends. But anyway, <laughs> struck out because he was trying to show his match owners, got his foot caught in the box outside the stable, pierced through the lid, got it stuck, yanked out, cut all his leg up and ran backwards absolutely terrified. And I was like, Terry, you're fine. And then I saw a little bit of blood and I thought, oh, maybe you're not fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like calmed him down, cleaned him up. We had the vet coming anyway for some other horses. So the vet had to look over and he's going to be fine. But his leg just ballooned up. So I couldn't take him. Yeah, it just swelled up too much. Yeah, and we sort of waited until the next morning, didn't we? So I don't think I actually knew until like an hour before we were leaving for the show the next day because we were really hoping to take Terry because he really needs the experience and so do we like we've got the nationals next Wednesday (laughs) and he's currently in the field with a fat leg yay (laughs) he knows he knows it was all pre-planned I shouldn't have told him about Addington he wanted to make some content for the podcast yes (laughs) we went past in the lorry and obviously with like Louis and Simba in the back and I could see Terry and it was literally like he was just waving like Mm. see ya he was putting his middle finger (laughs) as he went past suckers So yeah, that wasn't very good. So that's my lane this week. that became a sound, didn't it? Because it was a really good experience for you to take a different horse. For more context, Louis is 14 something. Yeah. Wide as he is tall, my ad. He is an amazing cob. Mm, Super Um, cob. Yeah, I don't like that phrase. I'm not really vibing with that phrase. Really? Is that a nick for you? (laughs) Yeah, because everyone who owns a cob 
refers yeah, to but Louis is Cobb as a super cob. But Louis is one. Yeah, though. Louis puts all other super cobs to shame. Louis Sorry. is the cop. <laughs> <laughs> the father. <laughs> and the son. Yeah. Yeah. So the he's like cop. training to Grand Prix. Yeah. Home. He's such a good egg though. He took it all in his stride. I don't think he's ever done four tests over two days before. And it was also throwing you in so at the deep end because you've ridden him what? A handful of Three times. times. And Three times over like two years. Yeah. That I've been working for you guys because like Samantha's like, only so I don't really ride him yeah and you'd ridden through tests on him once once yeah and then it was like okay right load him up let's go off dancing we go the advanced medium that I haven't really been doing for that long and she actually came second in one of your tests didn't you yeah we came third second fifth and last (laughs) (laughs) and I just might add that actually we were getting lower the further in we were going because he was getting so exhausted because he just doesn't have the stamina for that. But yeah, in one, we came second on the first day with 69%, which is actually a miracle because we beat some pretty mega horses. I think they saw me walking in and thought, oh, she's not. Well, when you... So the way to like make Louis go is to like rev him up like wildly. I was literally revving the... Like I was actually doing the revving motion on the reins going... Yeah, we're walking in and everyone else was like, oh, okay. That's an unorthodox approach. So I fluffed up the first one a bit, made a couple of mistakes. Um, The second one, I literally... So you only warm up for like five or ten minutes because like I say, he hasn't got much stamina. But I went in for my second test like five minutes before I was meant to go in. And the girl went, you do know you're you're like in in five minutes? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Just start like rallying him around, really trying to wind him up, sort of plowing through everyone in the warm-up. And I stopped and I went, oh, can I, because I'm inexperienced, I don't necessarily know. I was like, can I, am I allowed to go in before someone's left the arena? And Joanna was like, yeah, no, you can go in. And I just turned around and went, no, if you're going to gallop around, wait until the horse gets out, otherwise you're going to spook him. I went, all right, I'll wait then. <laughs> and this man, there was a man on the side that was like watching and he was just like, he just like looked so perplexed. Like, what is wrong with this person? Because that's just not what you hear on a dressage show. There's just a car about to like do the cavalry charge. I'll wait then. The arena. I'll wait then because I'm definitely going to gallop in there. Well, and we came second. It was amazing. So yeah, he's a very good boy and I'm really grateful that I was in the position where I could take a different horse. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to go and it literally would have been, what, like £200 down the drain yeah. for like the tests and the stable and everything. But this is where what we were talking about before comes into context of like, you've got to have backup plans and you've got to be adaptable and adjustable to whatever life and horses and Terry will throw your way. Yeah, because <laughs> you think you're taking your own horse and you end up taking a little cob. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that you've ridden like twice. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Just embrace it. There we go. So, Joanna, what's your layman sound been this week? Well, I won two of my classes today on 74%. Plus tests. Me and Joanna are on very different types of horses. (laughs) (laughs) Evie was on a cob and I was on like Simba, who was like the epitome of dressage horse isn't he he was super well behaved as well like me and Scarlett looked after him didn't we got him ready for you and stuff and easy peasy yeah he was actually like he, he was just really good considering last time we went to Addington I did enter the arena backwards yeah we did a level up from what we've normally done so we did harder tests and yeah we came away with 74 percent maybe that's what actually worked for you in that he had more to think about oh yeah in the 100%. test because he seems like that sort of horse doesn't he some of them do better the higher up they go because it gives them a little bit more to think about it does for me as well 
I have more to think about. Sometimes when I'm just doing circles, I'm like, la, 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 la. Well, a novice as well, it's like a rogue circle, just like in the middle yeah. of the tacit, like breaks up the flow. Like it's not as rideable. No, still in the medium, there's just like rogue yeah. circles. I'm like, what are you doing? But yeah, anyway, that so it was really, really good. Really enjoyed the whole experience with him. I'd say I wasn't particularly happy with my riding, but then I never am. I so. thought you rode very well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Evie. Thank you, Evie. And yeah. That's about it. And oh, and I've qualified for the summer regionals in one outing. So have you. Yeah, so did I. So we'll be probably trekking there together, won't we? Yeah. Regionals 2.0. Louis the Cobb and Simba. An iconic duo. Yeah. (laughs) They worked really well together, actually. It looks like Louis was more there for like a companion, though, like when they're in the stables. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because he's like a pony and Simba's so massive. But then Louis would come out and be like, like in his big trot. He does look like amazing. There was a very like well known rider there, wasn't there? Was there? Yeah. Who was there? The one opposite us on the first day. Yeah. Um, yes. And um, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> this rider looked at Louis like, <laughs> up and down and the look of disgust. You know, I'm not here for the like discrimination within dressage, like, leave it. You can, you know, turn your nose up all you like. I came second. In one day. <laughs> Sometimes you have a judge who can't see. Yeah. And then it yeah, the judge today, mm. ooh, she did not like no. me and Louis. But she liked me, so. Yeah. She had a type, okay? And I mean, you can't blame her for that. She likes tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> so do a lot of girls. Yeah. <laughs> Short, tubby gingers. Just don't. Don't cut it for everyone. <laughs> Win some, lose some. But also, thank you to Scarlett for helping us for our past 48 hours. You're very welcome. Before Dilemma 1, we should ask what Scarlett's layman sound has been. So I'm going to be very, very cringy and I'm going to say that my sound is coming up because I haven't seen you guys for ages, like since summer, I think, when you came down and, and no, visited. Christmas. Did I see you for Christmas? Oh, yeah. yes, you gushed did, yeah. Yeah, but you used to come up a lot, like yeah. pre-A levels. I would say Scarlet came like every half yeah, term. Because I started in like my extended summer for GCSEs. So I was here for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it's really nice to come up and see you all. <laughs> So, Bless your little heart. Yeah, and then I think my lame technically hasn't happened yet, but leaving tomorrow, because you guys are coming with me, mm. um, but I have to leave Apollo again. Aww. And that's really sad. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's so happy and he so wants to be retired. He very clearly wants to be retired because he looks very happy now. <laughs> but it is always like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm leaving Alrighty then, moving on to dilemma one. Hi guys, I bought a horse two years ago and with a month of her being broken she was kicked in the field and fractured her splint bone. The splint healed and had all approval from vets etc to start riding again. However, since then she's not been right and is bucking constantly in canter. I've had various vets, physios, saddle fitters etc all look at her and they agree she's not right but can't find the issue. What do I do? I love her but I'm not made of money and it's the most heartbreaking thing in the world. Okay, what is Scarlett's first impression of this? I have to say, I'm touch wood. I've not experienced this too much, although I am touching wood because mm. that's now going to happen with every horse. Horrible I've saying things out loud. I have to say, the only experience I've had with that was with Apollo towards the end of our career. He was getting quite touchy being ridden. He was really happy in the stable and he was really happy in the field and he wasn't like, he wasn't uncomfortable or anything, but he was just sort of going, I don't want to anymore. So the only thing I can say is possible like retirement, but with Apollo, he was 20 
and he'd done countless shows and high level things. So it's, it might be different in this case. I don't know how old the horse is and stuff like that. Sounds pretty young. Yeah, I think, I mean, she said she bought it when she was four. Yeah. So probably four or five now, I'd imagine. Yeah. So retirement doesn't seem like the best Yeah, that's hard, option. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So my thoughts are how good are the vets, physios, saddle fitters you've had a look at your horse, which I know then comes into the bracket of money and how much money you're spending. But just having one person's opinion isn't always the best. You know, if your vet can't find an answer, go and find a different vet, I would say. But again, that is one that is very much like money is no object, which obviously is an object in everyone's lives. Mm. Yeah, and I would maybe, if it was me, I, you might have already done this, but I would just turn the horse away. I mean, once you've sort of done what Joanna's just suggested or further investigation, you know, if finances allow it, maybe go for alternative opinions because sort of the quality of vets is very different depending on the county and like the research that's available, but that's a different debate. But if you've sort of exhausted all of those options, I think quite an underrated one is just to turn the horse away for a year and just let it be because like you've done that in the past oh yeah literally out of sight out of mind and dr green the field does wonders it really does and i think a lot of people can get kind of stuck in like the oh no they need to come into the stable and they need to be looked after and they need to do this need to do that literally turn them in the field and leave them and just let them go back to being a horse and then a year down the line maybe you can have saved up a little bit each month to go towards you know the finding out what's wrong with this horse pot and try again in a year's time. Yeah, because field livery isn't obviously as expensive as like full livery, stable livery. So I think that's a good shout sort of to turn your horse away, but also put money aside each month to think when this horse, when I, you know, look at the horse again in a year's time, I've got a little bit of finances behind me to further investigate. But maybe even after you've turned the horse out for a year, bring it back and sort of bring it into work as you would any other horse and just sort of see what happens. And then if the same behavior occurs again, then use your fund that you've saved through the year to investigate further. I mean, constantly bucking in the canter though is a bit, bit I strange. I mean, for me, that screams get its back x-rayed. Mm. Uh, or maybe ulcers. Yeah, I was going to say ulcers. That sounds like sort of they go telltale. Bit, yeah. yeah, bucky, don't they? Another possibility as well, just trying to unpick the reason of why the horse might be bucking in the canter. It might be that the splint has healed, but it might sort of be like a learned behaviour because often... Horses that have been in pain, and I've seen this with horses with ulcers, even if you take the ulcers away, they still have those behaviours there because it's such a strong association that's formed. But the positivity of this dilemma is that the horse is young. Yeah. So it should be easier to retrain. Absolutely, yeah. Also bringing the horse back into work in a year's time, it will still be young enough to be a blank slate. I would sort of have a bit more patience based on the horse's age. I would say it's not like the solution to sell the horse because then you're passing the problems on to someone else. If you can't get a horse to work, then it's not going to happen anyway. Yeah, and you, and you don't know who you might be selling the horse to. Yeah, know? exactly. Because if you if you sell a horse on, even if it is like we were saying with the ulcers, so it might be a learned habit. If you pass it on to someone really harsh, that's yeah. not going to fix the problem. No, all you're doing is passing a problem person to person that's not fair on people and it's so not fair on the horse either no. in the past i've had horses that have needed time off like simba for example simba has had a full year off in the past and he has now been back in full work for a year and you know he went out and got 74 percent at medium and 
I literally turned him out, out of sight, out of mind. I don't think I looked at him for like three months. He was literally just like a bog monster. And sometimes you do just have to do that. And I know it, it can seem really difficult, but, you know, if there's no other option, that is what you've got to do. And, you know, a very blunt option is if you really cannot afford it, if turning her out isn't an option... I don't think you should pass the problem on, then you need to put the horse down. And I think that's such an uncomfortable truth that people don't ever want to confront, but it is a reality within the industry. It definitely is. And it's so easy for us to say this because we're not emotionally attached to the situation, but sometimes you really do need someone who isn't emotionally attached to the horse, to anything that has happened to tell you these things. And obviously we're not telling you to put your horse down. But sometimes you do need to know that that is an option. That is okay, you know, given that you've tried everything within your means. Yeah, and drawing from my own experience recently, actually last year, my mum had a horse and since the day we got him, he had countless problems, ulcers, arthritis behind EMS, which is basically the equine equivalent of diabetes in people. So it means they can't have any sugar. They can't go on the grass. You have to, you know so-called of their hay, etc. Anyway, we sort of maintained all of his problems for about five years. And then it got to a point last year that he just was not happy. We exhausted every single option. He had hock injections. He had every supplement under the sun. And we were really lucky, actually, that we had people within our team sort of say, we'll do this, but this might be the last step. And he was very grumpy. He was getting aggressive because he was unhappy. And the way we saw it, we thought, God, he's got EMS. We can't even turn him away in a field because he can't have grass. We're not going to pass him on because no one's going to want to take on all these problems. And often when you take them to places that are intended for like rescue or rehabilitation, they're not always given the standard of care they need because those sort of places have so many horses to look after and such limited funds that we actually made the decision to put him down last year. And some people were surprised by that, but he wasn't happy. And also I think it's better for almost to do it sooner rather than later because you don't want to sort of get to the horse in the position where they're literally crippled. If you're hesitant in making this decision, think, are you hesitant because of yourself and your needs or the horses? Because I think sometimes people unintentionally put their own needs before their animal. They love their horse, so they don't want to put the horse down. But actually, is that of the best interest for the horse? Yeah, it's often the most loving thing to do. Like, I've always had dogs and cats. And, like, when it gets to that stage, when you can see they're not happy and they're not comfortable, like, obviously, you're devastated at the time. And, like, as as time goes on, glad isn't the right word, but you are glad you've done it rather than let them suffer. Because there's only so many, like, supplements and, you know, operations and stuff that you can put them through before it's not really worth just not kind anymore yeah you know, there's the whole phrase isn't there cruel to be kind sort of thing and like we were saying exhaust every option obviously this is like very much the last decision to make in summary our advice would be firstly i just get its back x-ray because that isn't a huge amount of money in terms of like veterinary treatments that you can have just to see if that is a problem second option is Turn away outside out of mind and whilst turned away, save up a little bit each month so that, you know, at the end of the year you can go, right, I've got this pot of money that I'm going to put towards this horse and we're going to 
get to the bottom of what's wrong with it. Also, let us know what you do end up doing with your horse. We're really grateful that you sent that dilemma in, but also we do really sympathise with your position. That's really not a nice situation to be in and we hope that you're okay. Good luck with it and let us know what you do. I feel like we waffled in that quite a lot. That was a hard dilemma to sort of debunk. Dilemma two. This was more sent in as like, A little bit informally, we thought it'd be really good as a dilemma. So it's kind of centering around a false portrayal of success online. So this person sent it in as kind of like a bit of an ick. They said, I hate it when people put that they took the win on nearly 69%. This usually means they won their section at a local show where they were the only one in the section, came third overall and got (laughs) 68.1%. Um, it's very specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like this is targeted at someone. <laughs> it says, it's okay to be pleased with your results. To me, it's quite toxic because it makes other people feel worse about their scores and a placing when it's just an inflated perspective, if that makes sense. So I definitely agree with this. People do put things online that is just based on the truth, but it's not the truth. Mm. Yeah, I think saying that you took the win when you're the only one in the class, you're just a bit of a loser, really, because like... <laughs> I mean, that's happened to me before at a local show where I've, quote, won. Mm. And I write that, but then I always do sort of like a jokey remark of like, don't you just love when you're the only person in the class, you know, like smiley face or something. I think you need to acknowledge that because that is a false portrayal. In saying that, I think someone winning their section at a local show saying, oh, yeah, I took the win. I think that's absolutely fine. Oh, no, see, I'd say it's totally wrong to put up that you won the class when you won your section because oh, let's you mean say, the specific wording of the class yeah if if let's say there was a class of five people in silver and one person in bronze and the person in bronze put up i won the class oh I but see they came mean. last yeah I but see they mean. won the bronze section i see i mean like if you actually won yeah so for anyone who isn't in the uk which shout out to our Australian listeners. <laughs> in British dressage, there are like different sections within the class. There's gold, silver and bronze. Gold riders is professionals. Silver is amateurs. Bronze is lower amateurs, I suppose. There's a lot of v- controversy. Vaguely, yeah. 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 Does anyone understand the ruling? I, I don't. don't know. I think you have to be like a lawyer yeah. to understand <laughs> the British dressage handbook. But anyway, I would definitely say that it does fuel the toxic mindset that we've spoken about before within social media and horses in general. I can see both sides. I can see every side. You know, you want to, as the rider, you're really proud of what you've done. You, you want to put up that it's been amazing and you want people to kind of congratulate you about it. I have to say as well, like... The dressage industry is so snaky. So if there's people who know you, they look up your scores anyway. Everything is online. So I feel like if you're doing it from a perspective of you want to make yourself seem amazing, people will find out and they'll they'll talk about it and I'll get out eventually. But then I also see, I think I had to learn to how to post on Instagram because I think if you looked back at my earlier stuff when I had like ponies and I was just starting, everything was so exciting. So it does... I think I did sound very cocky and sort of like, oh, I'm doing really well. I'm doing amazing. And I really, I never, ever wanted to put that out there. But I feel like if I went back through my Instagram, I'd be like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Whereas (laughs) 
I think with Apollo, I was humbled a lot because we often <laughs> embarrassed ourselves. And then with the horse I have now, he's amazing, but he's not talented for dressage. So every post I do is like, oh, we finally managed to do this. Or, But I do think it's a skill that you have to learn. Like to get that balance of being like, I'm really pleased with my horse. But at the same time, I'm not saying, oh, I'm better than everyone else because it's not true. I think the key word that you said in there is you were humbled. And I, I think there are so many people in the equestrian industry that aren't humble and will just brag openly about things, don't you think? Yeah, but I think those sort of people are the ones that are actually perhaps more the most insecure, actually, because mm. they feel the need to constantly feed this like image of success because actually deep down they feel like they're not successful whereas I feel like those that actually are doing really well are a little bit more relaxed because they don't really have anything to prove yeah 100% but then I can see it from their point of view of you know social media nowadays is very much like a forefront to a lot of people's business you know if a potential client is looking through your Instagram let's say or your Facebook and they're seeing like they took the win on 69% or they did a clear round or they got around the cross country course, then they're obviously going to want to train with that person or buy that horse or, but in actual fact, that's all a very false portrayal of what's actually happened. It's probably pressure from owners as well. On the yard, you and Samantha are very lucky. You've got lovely owners that don't mind if it goes wrong, but not everyone has that. You know, some, I know a lot of people that have owners that expect results every single time. That pressure must be really difficult. And if they're doing their write-up and their owner follows them or is friends with them on Facebook, then they're going to be like wanting to make it sound super positive because they don't want the backlash from that so I think that's maybe like another thing to think about I would say that the whole toxic narrative that the equestrian industry is going through at the moment isn't going to change until everyone starts changing it you know we all need to be a little bit more active in doing it I now feel bad about putting the day one two classes today up no but- you shouldn't know because it's just the problem isn't social media it's how people manage their social media if you're just realistic and objective and stick to the facts then there's nothing wrong if you've won two classes you should say you've won two classes you know you can't go on the other extreme and end up sort of downplaying your success because that's just as bad i think some people are very comfortable talking about things that they've done and i don't understand that in the sense of like everyone's doing an introduction and I was blushing because I just find it embarrassing because but it I feel happens like in any sphere doesn't yeah it? exactly but then there are some people who are very happy to talk about it mm. but then I think I again when I was first did like GB stuff I put it in my bio I was so excited and I changed it not that long ago because I was a bit like we'll never hide the fact that I wrote for GB because it's I mean not what I expected at all like we're not the sort of usual family to do it an amazing achievement isn't it oh, and you should you. always be proud of that yeah But then I know people who sort of list like they put like the emojis of like the medals that they've won in their bio and stuff. And I was like, that's just not okay. I just think that's not the sort of the the message you should be putting out. I think I get, as I said, I've been humbled by probably four horses in a row now where you go out and you can get really good scores and the next day you're on the floor or you're rearing up and being eliminated Mm. or you are you know, being bucked at and then you're doing, you know, a a 70% test or something. But I feel like you have to be honest with I think good and bad days and that's really difficult especially in the industry like you said when it's a business yeah and unfortunately people often 
determine a horse by their success and they define their success by their scores. And I think that's a real shame because some horses are really talented, you know, so they don't always get amazing consistent scores or some riders are really talented, but they don't have the horsepower to get amazing consistent scores. And I think it's really ignorant of people just to look at their results and base their ability purely on that when actually you don't know the wider context and there's so much more to it than that. I would try and just not let it bother you. I know that's really hard because often these people that give this false impression of success, they end up almost getting rides on horses and they almost keep being successful. They keep peddling it. You can just unfollow, block. Blockity block. I had to do that. I had to do that when, when Apollo first retired. I knew that we didn't have the funds to buy me another like young rider horse. Um, And I find it really difficult because there are so many competitions all the time, Premier Leagues, internationals and all that kind of thing. And every time I'd be like looking at scores and I'd be like, oh, what they posted? And I'd be thinking either, oh, I could be there or oh, I could have done that. Or it's really difficult. I think you said in like episode one, it's like falling off a cliff. You have no idea what to do. I just delete my Instagram for a bit because I couldn't look at everyone else doing really well at dressage. And I was like, got nothing. I've got nothing to do. It's really hard to take a step back from it. But I think when you look at it objectively, you go like equestrianism is so circumstantial. So like you're going to go to a competition and like you had Joanna, like the bird scarers. That's not your fault. That's not Simba's fault, but it's bloody scary. Mm. So he's going to spook at it. Yeah. And I think unfollowing is is like a bit of a shout, actually. I think people are a bit scared to unfollow people. If it's really frustrating you, because this did sound quite targeted. <laughs> we have specific <laughs> percentages. <laughs> then unfollow them. Yeah. Okay. So our advice is unfollow, block, delete, and also be the change that you want to see. Well put. general chit chat we have been asked to give our boot recommendations so scarlet hit me i feel like this is gonna be off the cuff but i think tread steps for me i don't actually have them anymore because i grew out of them but they are you know relative to dressage boots they're quite cheap and they lasted me probably four years so they were very short by the end but you know they were just smart and quite basic boots but i feel like that's all you need mm. mine are very blingy now but I mean, I earned them, so. <laughs> <laughs> so my recommendation for everyday boots is a boot that both me and Evie have, which I only recently got. So we've both got the same recommendation. Yeah, it's Petrie. I thought it was Petri. Petri. But it's Petri. not like Petri dish, like you I grow things I thought it was Petri Reaver boots, or is it River? I thought it was P-E-T-R-I-E <laughs> <laughs> space R-I-V-A boots super pretty and they actually like touch wood i mean how long have you had yours now nearly a like year six months but they're really nice they're like kind of hard kind of soft mm. oh <laughs> <laughs> pardon the old innuendo there those are my everyday boot recommendations i really like them unless you're absolutely loaded don't spend loads of money on everyday boots because they're just gonna get mm. wrecked yeah oh, my everyday boots are from premier equine and i think they're quite smart as well but then competition boots, we got to go with our old faithful Daenerys, which I would also wear every day, but I don't have the funds for that. And if you don't want to go like full throttle and splash out on the real like hard proper ones, the soft ones are just as good. This has been our guest, Scarlett John, your host, Evelina Shreve and Joanna Thurman Baker. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of That's Lame. If you've liked it, please give us a little cheeky review and a little whatever you want to do. And we need to go to bed. I need to take my breeches off. (laughs) I need to sleep in them. Goodbye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Bye.